Welcome to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we will discuss all things related to physical preparation, including rehab, performance, and education. All right, well, welcome everyone. My name is Dr. John Herding, um, and I own Precision Performance Physical Therapy out in Garnet Valley. Um, so we're about 40 minutes from where you guys are, but, um, over the years, Kathy and I have grown a good relationship, um, that's really worked out well. And that brings me here for you guys. And definitely in, in what we're all going through as a country now, as best I can reach out and help, um, you guys and fill your time with, um, knowledge and, um, just useful information that can hopefully make us all better on the on the back end of this. That's that's what I look to do today. Um, so I'll I'll present a little bit of you know, some of my knowledge and what you have to be thinking about as far as low back pain, and then um, I'd like to keep it informal and answer specific questions that you guys have so that you can take this back into classes at um, Burn or you know so that. You know, people like Devin and Chuck and Kathy can help you guys um, make adjustments through the workouts so you can continue to work out even though you may deal with some back pain. Because um, in my experience and, and in my clinic, we see a 100% population of active individuals and athletes. So in my experience as a physical therapist, we see movement helps most things better than any um, specific rest. So. Um, my clinic, my, my therapist, myself, our philosophy is rest doesn't really help anything. And if we can figure out ways to help people through the injury process, that's our job. So um, I know that Kathy and, and the guys down at Burn um, really try to do that as well to help you continue to make performance gains as you work through an injury. Um, and that's how I'm here just to help guide you and help you understand that that's okay as long as it's done the right way. Um, so please, if you guys have any questions, I know you guys are um, muted right now, but go ahead and unmute and I can see you unmute. And then just, again, we'll keep it informal and answer any questions that you guys have as we work through some of this. Um, so basically, um, nobody's showing their beautiful faces today. Um, but for the most part, 80% of us will experience low back pain at some point in our lives. And it's the most common cause of job-related disability. Um, and work mistakes in the country, right? Um, three quarters of adults have experienced low back pain in the last three months, and 30 million Americans experience low back pain at um, any given time. So chances are, some of us have had low back pain, especially if you're on this call, you're interested in it, and you've probably had low back pain at some point, right? Um, and at least $50 billion a year is spent on back pain, right? whether that's surgery or shots or therapy, um, or whatever um, back support devices out there. Um, there's This is a huge industry that people are sometimes taking advantage of people in, and sometimes um, it's well warranted for the intervention that's needed. Um, in my experience in the clinic, we aren't seeing a ton of low back pain that ever needs to get to the point. Of the we don't see it, um, and, and studies are now showing too that MRIs um, are just a picture in time, and they don't necessarily correlate with the level of injury. So, um, just because you have back pain that shoots down your leg doesn't mean that the MRI shows the exact. Form, if that makes sense. Um, we've seen people in the clinic that have what looks like the worst disc herniation on MRI and have no symptoms. And we've seen people that barely have a disc bulge on MRI and have the worst symptoms ever and where they can't walk. So um, it's all information. MRIs are often needed, but also don't get sucked into my MRI shows that it's the cause of my pain. And this is why I'm having these issues. Hey, John, can I interrupt for a second? I'm so sorry. Oh, hey, yeah. Chuck, can you put your microphone on mute in the camera off? Because we're getting a whole tour of your house. <laughs> it keeps switching off to him. I'm sorry, John. No, that was fine. Did you, did you guys hear everything that I said? Yes, thank you. Cool. Is that so, good? Yeah, you're good. Put your microphone on mute. And your camera. <laughs> it's when whenever someone's talking or if there's noise in the background, it kept flipping over to Chuck. So I just wanted to make sure everyone has your full attention. Perfect. Cool. 
All right. Um, yeah, so ba basically the point of that was um, a thorough assessment of your movement capabilities and um, is going to be the best thing in my experience to really figure out what the cause of your pain is and, and how we can best help you through it, right? Pictures sometimes are needed, but that's not always what's needed as the first line of defense, right? Um, basically, risk factors that we're looking for um, in all of our patients that come in are age, poor physical fitness, being overweight, their job, and smoking is a risk factor as well. Um, I know you guys are doing a great job of keeping people active in the gym, so hopefully you take that poor physical fitness out of the equation. Um, but there's also things where we need to make sure that people have the prerequisites, joint range of motion, making sure that um, they have great ankle mobility and hip mobility is a huge factor for us as we get into um, evaluating some of our patients with low back pain. Um, and because what we'll find is, and I'll go ahead and get into this now, is if a joint lacks mobility, for instance, if your hips um, don't have the mobility that they should, then you're going to end up getting that mobility from somewhere else. You're going to get it from your low back most of the time. Um, low back is, the low back is meant to be a very stable um, section of joints, but it often becomes more mobile than it should be because people start to lack hip mobility. Um, from a sedentary lifestyle or sitting in the office all day, all that kind of stuff. So um, the, one of the main things that we tend to do in our clinic is work on addressing hip mobility and how that relates to low back position um, and getting people out of pain. Um, very rarely is a back problem a back problem, um, unless there is actually that structural disc herniation that is the cause of the symptoms. But very rarely a back problem is presenting because of something that was going on somewhere else, like a lack of hip mobility. Um, and that same thing goes with knee problems. Very rarely is a knee problem a knee problem. It's usually something that's happening in the hips or the ankles and the knee just gets kind of stuck in between, right? Um, so again, that's why a, a thorough assessment um, is, is needed for these things. Um, but then that's how everyone, we can start to tailor a program to help you um, help clients get through um, the injury while they're still working out. That's why instead of resting through the injury, if you're able to alter your, your um, fitness program the right way, then you can continue to make progress instead of, again, just resting, right? Um, ways to know that it's serious though, and that maybe you do need to get some further intervention is if you're having bowel or bladder issues, so you're not able to, to hold um, the good stuff in. If you're getting numbness, tingling, or burning down your leg, um, if it's chronic versus acute, so if it's been going on for a while with some, especially these more serious symptoms like um, the burning, tingling, numbness, um, or if there was a specific injury, like was there specific traumatic incidents, or is this something that you just kind of felt coming on over time? Um, Typically, the things that lead to it being more serious are the bowel bladder, obviously. That's go, to, go see a physician immediately. Um, numbness, tingling, burning, depending on the severity of those symptoms. Um, a lot of times, physical therapy and directed intervention can help um, a patient through that, right? Um, same thing with any movement-specific symptoms. If it's movement-specific where you just move into a certain range of motion um, or you, you only feel pain when you're doing a squat, um, let's work together and let's figure out how we can adjust your squat technique or load it appropriately to make sure that you have, um, that you're not stressing the area to cause the pain, right? Um, but certainly if you have some of those neurological issues like the bowel and bladder, the numbness, tingling, burning, um, you may need to go see a physician just to make sure that we get their input on that as well, right? Um, but most of the time what we're seeing, especially in, in your types of populations, is just low back sprains and strains. And um, with there being 28 larger muscle groups in the back, um, this, is, this take, there's a lot of stress placed on these areas, depending on exercise technique and how you're lifting and carrying things throughout the day. Um, especially as when you think about um, our everyday sedentary life where you sleep for say six to 10 hours, then average commutes maybe 45 minutes sitting in the car, then you're sitting at a desk for eight hours, then you, you um, quickly 
make it into a, a boot camp class that's 45 minutes, and then you drive home sitting in the car, and you sit at dinner, and then you sit on the couch, right? Um, so typical American lifestyle where if you're sitting for, um, sitting or laying for 20 hours out of the day, and then you try to go hard or you try to lift and carry something heavy that, um, you can see how that kind of sets us up for, um, inopportune, you know, not advantageous positions when we're lifting and carrying load, right? So that's why, um, warmups become important. That's why movement prep becomes important. That's why, um, we need to make sure that we maintain joint range of motion and the ability to load those ranges of motion as um, we continue to be active and working out so that we don't overstress, um, especially our low backs, right? Does anybody have any questions so far? That was a lot of information in just a couple of minutes. All right, cool. Um, so again, we talked about a little bit about, um, or we've talked about joint range of motion. And if you just take a cursory look at the body and we start at the, the feet, the ankles are gonna be a pretty mobile joint. Um, knees are gonna be a pretty stable joint. Hips are gonna be pretty um, mobile. Low back should be more stable. Mid back should be more mobile, even though there's a, a bunch of joints there. Um, and then the neck should actually mirror the low back and be stable too. But we find that that becomes an area of instability um, as people start to need to gain mobility because they low, lose mobility in their mid back and their thoracic spine. Um, so again, as you know, as therapists and trainers, and we're all looking at, all right, why is this low back now taking an extra stress? Is it because a specific exercise technique has been compromised because we were losing ankle mobility or hip mobility? Um, and sometimes it's an easy fix. We can give someone more ankle mobility by throwing uh, an inch or two inch block or five pound plate underneath their heels when they squat. And right away that cleans up the squat and takes pressure off their low back. Um, sometimes it's a little more complex than that, but sometimes that's an easy fix where we can um, make sure as a client, you're telling um, your therapist or your trainers, hey, you know what, when I squat or do that thruster or that burpee, I'm having low back pain um, because then we can just alter it for you and then maybe give you a couple things that you can do as a warm-up prep um, to prepare you for the workout. Um, one thing that we look at in our clinic, so um, we've all been taught this military posture where you're chest is up, your shoulders are back, your, your hips are forward, your low back is arched is the ideal posture. Um, I would argue that that's not the ideal posture because then that um, overextends your abs. So your abs are longer than they should be to be able to con um, control movement like they should. Um, I would argue that it arches your low back more than it should be, so it places extra stress there. And I would argue that it puts um, your glutes or your butt muscles at an, um, a disadvantageous position to tuck you under to stabilize your hips through movement. So um, in my clinic, we actually promote um, a, a posture that not, tends to stack your ribs on top of your hips. So if you tuck your hips under a little bit um, and exhale so that your ribs come down on top of your hips, then you have a nice stack of um, rib cage on top of your hips instead of being kind of extended like that. So um, to us, that's what gives people the best position to succeed. And you can see that in a proper form of a deadlift or you can see that in a proper squat um, if people are maintaining those positions. Um, any questions about that? Cool. Um, so um, basically when we see people in the clinic, we are moving through, um, we're taking them through a mobility and, um, well, so we've talked a lot about mobility. Let's go here. Let's start, let's talk stability. Um, so when you're looking at the joints we talked about before, ankle is a mobile joint, knees, a stable joint, hips are mobile, uh, low back stable, thoracic spine, mid back, or like mid back is mobile and neck is stable. Um, when you start to get when you start to lose muscle control or um, like when we talked about that extended military posture where your ribs are up and your hips are forward, um, you start to um, 
place yourself in these positions where the muscles can't work as well as they should. So you start to lose stability. Um, and if we can just drive better position, you can get stable. And on top of keeping joints stable, then you start to drive strength on top of that. And then there, that's when you can add some power stuff like your medicine ball slams and throws and all that kind of stuff. Um, so joint mobility, joint stability is what, if we're simplifying it the best or the, to its most basic, that is really what we're assessing, um, through all of our movement patterns to make sure we're minimizing the stress through our low back. Um, how many of you guys in this group here can touch your toes? I can. <laughs> One? I think everyone's still on mute. Yeah. Um, so touching our toes is great. I can. <laughs> Love it. Um, and there's many different factors in being able to do that, obviously. But when we're looking at someone being able I'm to um, touch your toes, I'm here, Daddy. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> you, um, I would rather see someone just barely touch the floor with their um, their fingertips versus being able to palm the floor. Does anybody know why I'd rather see them just barely touch the floor, if not touch the floor with their fingertips versus palm the floor? I do not know, to be honest with you. Cool. Um, when I see someone that's able to palm the floor, I think that they're a stability problem all the way. And stability problems to me are the toughest in being able to make sure that they can make maintain good position and good muscle control to um, take pressure off their low back. If someone can, when you touch your toes, if you can push your hips behind your heels and just barely um, fingertips to the floor, um, then that means that you have a good um, hip hinge pattern, which is the foundation of a deadlift, which makes um, is the precursor to making sure you can maintain proper positions with um, your hips and your, and your trunk going forward as you progress in the exercises, right? So um, I think it's common knowledge that we should all being able to touch our toes for the most part before deadlifting. Um, but I would argue that I'd rather see someone um, push their hips behind their heels, barely touch their toes versus being able to just fold over at the waist, keep their hips on top of their heels and palm the floor. Um, that, is, that to me is not ideal. It's too much mobility and that could lead to problems in the future. Um, that's a, so that's a good first self-assessment of, um, you know, are you preparing yourself properly so you're not going to have low back pain? Um, another good self-assessment is if you're sitting on the, on a table or a chair and you cross your ankles and you kind of pull them apart. So you feel like there's pressure, um, up in your hips and you put your arms across your shoulders and you turn to one side breathe in, breathe out, and turn to the other side, breathe in, breathe out. If you feel like you can't move very far in either direction or there's an asymmetry, so you can move to one side more than the other, um, then that's something that you wanna clean up in order to, make, to limit your risk of low back pain as you stay active, right? Um, another one is another good self-assessment, and we'll go through like three more is um, assessing your lat length and your ability to get your arms overhead. So if you stand with your back to the wall, um, heels against the wall or just maybe four to six inches away from the wall, and you keep your arms straight and lift them overhead, can you touch your thumbs to the wall without letting your ribs rise, right? Um, if you feel like you can't touch your thumbs to the wall without letting your ribs rise, then you might have some mobility deficits in um, your lats, and we need to fix that in order to save pressure on your low back when you're doing overhead activities. Um, so if, for instance, if you wanna do a shoulder press or a thruster, so full squat to shoulder press, even if you take it as far as doing um, um, handstand push-ups, um, then you want to make sure that you have full shoulder overhead range of motion to disperse the forces um, 
well to prevent injury, right? So um, you should be able to stand against the wall, bring your thumbs overhead to a wall um, without your chest having to rise up into the air to help compensate for that. If you can't work on um, lat mobility with some foam rolling your lats, that kind of stuff, um, and hopefully you can improve that. Um, ankle mobility is another big self-assessment that um, if you tape, put a tape measure or mark off a spot four to five inches away from a wall and you put your foot flat on the ground, keeping your heel on the ground, and you bring your knee forward to the wall, if you should be able to touch the wall um, with your knee. So um, just to repeat again, if your toes are four to five inches away from the wall, heel stays on the ground, you're kneeling in a lunge position, and you move your knee forward to touch the wall. Um, if you're gonna, it, it, to squat without taking, um, to, to squat properly while reducing the stress in your low back, you should be able to touch your knee to the wall, um, about a four to five inch excursion of that. Um, if not, a very simple fix, again, we mentioned it earlier, is just throwing your heels on a block, one to two inches, or wear lifting shoes. Um, and that will, you know, if, if you don't have time to do anything to prep you for a squat workout or to prep you for, um, to be able to squat better, just get a pair of lifting shoes or throw um, a five pound plate under each heel when you squat and very quickly you can fix an ankle mobility problem. Um, so, because I know a lot of us, we struggle to get in, you know, three to four days a week for an hour. So it's hard to add another 15 or 20 minutes of prep work. Um, so that's an easy kind of fix that we can do to help people that deal with back pain when they squat. Um, another quick, easy fix while we're there. Um, I don't, I'm not necessarily, unless someone is back squatting for their sport. So you're a power lifter that has to back squat. Um, I think most people should probably be front squatting or goblet squatting because that's another way that we can take pressure off the low back by um, dispersing the forces, forces forward and off and um, counterbalancing people to keep them more upright when they squat versus seeing a, a forward torso lean and a, a low back arch. Um, so those are two quick fixes with a squat. If someone has low back pain when they squat, that um, if you're a client, you can try, or if you're a trainer that you can um, just quit, make a quick adjustment to help them get through the workout when they're dealing with some injuries, right? Um, so how do you know that you're at an increased risk for a low back injury? Say you don't have pain right now, um, but you want to know if you're at risk. Um, previous history of low back pain, um, again, decreased thoracic spine, so mid-back mobility, decreased hip mobility, decreased ankle mobility, um, a lack of poor control, and it's not so much poor strength. I would argue that every single client you guys see um, has good core strength, but it's a lack of control um, in certain positions that make, causes their pain often. Um, I think most people have a strong core because it's all we grew up doing is sit-ups and planks and this and that. And, and if you can hold a plank for 45 seconds, your, your core is pretty strong. Um, so I think a lot of the low back pain we see isn't a lack of core strength. It's a lack of core control and ability to maintain that stacked position where your hips are tucked under and your rib cage is down stacked on top of that. Um, and along with that is pelvic stability too. If you have this huge arch in your low back, um, your glutes are not in a good spot to, um, kind of support that foundation of your hips tucked underneath you. Um, so again, I think a lot of people, in, in my opinion, it's not so much of, so much of a strength issue. It's, it's a more of a controlling position issue that leads to extra stress on the low back. Um, and sometimes that's an easy fix, and sometimes it takes a while because people are used to moving in certain ways um, to get the job done, especially if they have to get 100 reps of a 100 um, bodyweight squat reps done in a period of time. Um, so the ways that we can prevent low back pain are making sure we take the time to prepare the soft tissue through foam rolling, through an active recovery day, through maintaining um, joint mobility. If you notice that you're struggling to um, move your hips in a certain position or when you sat on 
in the chair and you tried to move your torso to the right or to the left, you noticed that there was a lack of range of motion in either direction, um, then we need to improve those things. Um, so I think it's taking the time, you, you know, I would rather see people, and of course this is my physical therapist point of view, but keep in mind I have a performance um, lens and, and background and I think I would almost rather see people get two hard work. If they only have three days to work out a week is get two really hard workouts. And then the other workouts, more of a recovery workout, um, prep workout to make sure they can hit those two hard workouts, um, a week. Ideally you're getting three or four workouts with that extra kind of prep mobility prep workout to make sure that you can hit, um, three or four workouts hard. But I think that um, most people should always have that recovery mobility day. Um, and I'm guilty of it as well. I don't do that personally, but I, I should. Um, and I have some low back pain because I don't. But um, that's just a decision that I've made. But if I'm putting on my physical therapy lens and making sure people move well, move often, and stay healthy, um, I always recommend that they um, have that extra day to make sure they're prepped for the intensity of the workout through the week, right? Um, so you're preparing the soft tissue, you're preparing improving joint mobility, we're further preventing low back pain by improving trunk and pelvic stability. Um, and again, I think that comes from positions that hopefully um, improve after preparing the soft tissue, improving joint mobility, and then um, working on the ability to maintain this new range of motion that hopefully you're working on as you um, prepare the soft tissue. Um, also avoiding overuse and fatigue. Um, as clients, we have to be sometimes, um, we have to champion for ourselves. Like if we only got four hours sleep because we were up with the newborn kid and, and job stressful, so you're up late doing that and then you didn't really eat well and um, you went out to a work dinner the night before. If you're, if you're feeling like you're run down and you're beat up and maybe that's not the workout, maybe that's a better rest day than coming in and trying to work out. Or maybe that's just a, Hey, you know what? This is the prescribed workout for today, but I'm just going to do this because I know I need to move to maintain my sanity. I need to move because I don't want to miss it, but today's not the right day to go hard. Right. Um, so listening to ourselves sometimes is the best course of action um, to avoid overuse and fatigue because a lot of research is coming out. There's everybody's now getting um, different exercise monitors that are helping you dial into um, neurological readiness. And I think that sometimes we just need to listen to our bodies and say, you know what? I didn't sleep well the night before. I didn't really eat well either. So I need to just take this workout a little bit easier and I'm going to make this recovery workout instead of going hard. Right. Um, and then avoiding improper mechanics. So we all know that there's um, better ways to squat, better ways to deadlift, better ways to, um, you know, overhead press. And I think that we, um, as clients as well, need to make sure that we are okay with doing um, a regression, that we don't, we're not so egotistic that we go into a workout and say, well, I want to do everything everybody else is doing. I need to shoulder press directly overhead. Um, we need to be okay with saying, all right, you know what, today's maybe not an overhead shoulder press day, or I need to work on some things before I'm graduated to be able to do that. Today, I'm able to um, I should do a landmine press instead. So the joint angle is, is a little bit easier on the shoulder. Um, and, and I get it like dialing back is hard for everyone to do. And i like I said before, I am guilty of not listening to my own advice, but, um, those are decisions that we make and we have to understand the consequences that that is, um, how we kind of, we want to go forward. Um, so basically, and, and really when we think about it is training smarter, not harder you'll see people that are in better shape that train three days a week, recover fully. They're getting stronger. They're getting more card cardiovascular gains, all that kind of stuff um, versus someone that trains five days a week and just continues to break themselves down. Um, and like everyone else, I'd rather work out five days a week, but we have to understand that you might even see more progress training three days a week um, versus five. And that's hard for some of us to understand. Um, we also have to understand that not every workout is meant to tear us down where we're lying on the floor and, um, you know, a sweat angel. We have to understand that every workout should leave us with something in the tank um, so that we can hit the next workout hard. 
And it's okay to hit a workout hard every now and then that does leave us in a sweat angel. But um, more workouts than not should be, you should still feel like you got a good workout. You can still be sore, but you should feel like you had some left in the tank, right? Um, so basically that's, we just, uh, you know, that, that's kind of what I have for you guys today. Um, so hopefully we can, we have a bunch of questions that I can answer. Um, but most injuries, especially in the slow back realm are chronic and due to overuse. Um, very rarely are we seeing like this acute, um, low back pain that, you know, someone went to pick something up and then they immediately felt a pop and got this, um, you know, shooting pain down their leg. We do see that, but most of what we see is like this chronic low back pain that's more toward a strain that people just didn't want to take care of. Um, where if you get on top of it early, you can take care of it pretty quickly. Um, so that, that again, falls into listening to your bodies. Don't be too proud to ask for help. If you're a client, your trainers are skilled at being able to adjust things so that you can continue to work out and, and work out around it. But then also know that you have to do the things to make it better instead of just trying to work out around it. Um, and if, and if you're a trainer, you have to just make sure that you're able to, to pick up on people that may be moving in an aberrant fashion because based on what they usually do because of like an acute pain or just be aware that, okay, you know what, this person came in today, said their back started hurting him at work. This is the adjustment we need to make so that we don't feed into um, further dysfunction, right? Um, so with that being said, do you guys have any questions? Um, not necessarily any questions. I do definitely struggle with the recovery process. Um, and I have a lot of lower back issues. Mm -hmm. I think I try to go hard during work. Not uh, Chuck, put your mic on mute. Sorry, I was about to ask a question. Okay, sorry. Um, I always try and go like heavier with my weight and like realize that I have to like tone it down because I am having back issues. So just like hearing you even say like working out three days versus five days is actually better for progress. It's kind of like the same thing. Like I don't need to go with the heavier weight. I can do the lighter weight and still see the same progress and not have the low back pain. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't know how necessarily you structure your workouts, Devin, but if it's, I'm going to do two days of this like high intensity boot camp style workout, but then I'm going to have another day because I, I do want to go heavier of a more focused strength workout where I can really take the time and focus on form with good rest periods in between lifts. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, so sometimes it just comes down to structure. Um, but I think it is hard sometimes to throw, put the high intensity and the heavier weight together. Um, higher intensity, higher volume is, is often going to just lead to uh, lower weights, right? And then it just comes down to goals and what you're trying to get out of your workouts, whether it's um, just trying to stay fit or if it's you're trying to compete in something. Um, and that's where sometimes I, I am a huge proponent of not programming for yourself. I think we all have this great knowledge and we can definitely write our own workouts because, you know, we've proven that we can do that. But I think other people should always be writing for us because they'll make us focus on the things that we need to focus on, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. And even like the higher intensity, like not going heavier in the weights, that also is obviously very logical. <laughs> yeah, but Just none of us don't like think of it. <laughs> or we don't want to. Right, right. Um, but then is it, if I dial it back for four weeks, I can get through my low back pain, still keep steady progress, and then I can start to move it up as I can make sure I maintain these positions, right? Like if, if um, deadlift variations are what really bother your back in a workout, take the weight back, take a couple weeks to really focus on your form while you're still working out in the class, and then as you're dialing in form a little bit better, just move up and wait as you can maintain the positions. Or right. Okay. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, Chuck, if you want to go ahead and answer your question, if you could turn your video off. <laughs> I don't know how to turn it off. I'm sorry, you guys. Okay. But um, he kind of just touched on it with um, progression and kind of regression. So if you know that you are having issues with any body part, 
kind of scale back a little bit and work on your form and your breathing, your technique and stuff like that, and then progress later on moving forward. So that's one of the things I was going to ask him. How do you feel about Because we our boot camps are 45 minutes, and typically it's go, 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 go. Yeah. And we kind of push people to work out, you know, almost every day, six days out the week. But we've been kind of like – not scaling back, but letting them know, like, before camp starts, start priming your body for any of the movement, especially if we're doing strength days, like, come in mm -hmm. on leg days and, like, the uh, wall exercise, you said, with the um, heel being down and you're kind of getting your knee to the wall. And I, I actually just tried the um, the shoulder one you just demonstrated. Yeah, well, that's I saw you. Pretty, yeah. that's, <laughs> that is pretty tough. It's something I need to work on. But um, definitely we're trying to get people – because we got, like, a lot of – athletes on the floor too as well as people that's working out for the first time and of course the athletes want to just go 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 but yep. rest days are a key and basically what i'm getting from it is like you work out for three good days and maybe take like a just a day day or two to kind of like rest up and then work out for like three to three two or three days again yeah i think it, it, it there's so many factors that go into that right like you have your ideal and that might be your ideal but just mm, yeah. it's in the way for all those people right and then you start yes. to feel how your body responds. Some people can go hard two days in a row and then they need a day or two off. And some people yeah. go hard four or five days. Like, so I think there's so many different factors in that. People just have to find what works best for them. But I think yes. if, we're, if we're the professionals guiding people, you know, maybe it just, it, it's as easy as, you know, Kathy, how are you feeling today? Are you feeling good? And no, not really. I didn't really sleep well last night. All right, Kathy, then this, when we're squatting today, I want you to make sure that you put your heels up on, you know, mm -hmm. plates or something. So, so we, we all have, I know you guys all have regressions and progressions where if this person's squat doesn't look good in the middle of the workout, I can just change it to this, this variation and I'll be good. Right. To yes. The risk. So, um, I think it's just, um, we, we have to guide people. We have to understand that people are probably for the most part, not going to be, um, champions of themselves because they do, especially the athletes, they're looking for that stimulation that they're missing from the athletics that they don't play anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. But we have to be on point where it's sometimes as simple as how you feeling today. And eh, you know what? I didn't feel very good. All right. And you know what? I want you to try the workout this way today and see how you feel afterwards. Perfect. Perfect. One more question. Yeah, um, <clears throat> what books are you reading right now? What book am I reading right now? Yeah. I'm looking uh, for some new books to get into. The Daily Stoic and Atomic Habits. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. And I, I always hopefully have good book ideas. So always shoot, shoot me an email or something. Will do. Will do. Yeah. What's up, Tyler? I can't hear him. Still nothing. You have to unmute, Abby. Hmm. It looks like she's unmuted. It might be her microphone on her computer or something. Yeah. Bottom left. I don't think it's connected in, Abby. Can you type it? Yeah, go ahead, Holly, ask a question. Go for it. Hey, John, while she's typing, if, mm -hmm. um, if at some point before we hop off, I know that you mentioned that hip mobility um, is a big factor with low back issues. Can you, can you tell us some daily, maybe hip stretches that we can do to kind of keep ourselves uh not as tight so as not to get that low back issue yeah of course um two of my favorites are a kneeling hip flexing hip flexion stretch so if you um position yourself in a lunge position um back knee on the ground and back foot on a wall right um it's important to hear that you don't overextend your back and don't let your chest rise and your low back arch but if um you're kneeling in that lunge position, back knee on the ground, back foot on the wall, and you squeeze that same side, so the downside glute, 
um, you'll feel a great hip flexor and quad stretch. Um, and then you can um, manipulate your upper body too. Like if you want to add in a reach um, to the opposite side or rotation, um, you can just kind of play with the stretch that way um, to get the specific angle that you may need. Um, so that's number one. I love that one. And then I love, um, I mean, a pigeon pose, if you guys are familiar with that. Um, but my favorite variation is being able to find in my clinic, we'll use like a clinic table. Um, but if you can put your feet, um, your one leg on the table with your knee facing out and your foot on the ground, so like a figure four or a foot on the table, figure four, um, and then turn your bottom foot that's on the ground in, then you should feel a really good um, back of the hip stretch that. Um, so between that, which is stretching like some of your, your hip rotators and then the kneeling one, which gets your hip flexors, that's usually pretty good. Um, and then I do like cat camel too. Um, that can help you work on tucking your hips underneath you, arching your back a little bit, finding the middle to get a feel for what we would consider neutral spine. Um, but between those three, I think, um, that usually sets people up for success pretty well. Awesome. Any um, length of time to hold those poses and how many through? Yeah. So definitely, I mean, I said two to three, generally my recommendation is two to three sets um, and I'll hold for breaths. So we'll go, you know, 10 or 20 breaths and make it a breath, a breath focused stretch versus just going on time. Um, if you're someone that would rather go time, I say at least 45 seconds, but um, generally I think people should, cause you'll feel, and if you, if you haven't already felt it as you breathe into a stretch and breathe through a stretch, you'll feel extra range of motion come in with exhales. Um, so I'll hold stretches for breaths as long as people aren't rushing the breath, um, more so than putting specific time periods. But if you do want time, usually 45 seconds or more. Perfect. Thank you. Of course. And then it looks like Holly has a question, um, whether someone has back pain or not, are there specific exercises that should be absolutely avoided? No. Um, I think, I don't think there's ever a bad exercise. I think there's better exercises. And I think it's just being able to find the exercise where the person can maintain the position or form that fits best for them and then making sure that they um, do it in the proper manner, right? Um, some people will say people should, um, you know, disc herniation should avoid, avoid flexion. Some people will say that they should avoid extension. I think you find what works for the patient or the person. You find, um, you make sure they maintain the position they need to, and you just have them work out. Um, but sometimes that means you're not pushing intensity and volume. It means you're being more focused and mindful of the movement um, versus really just trying to crush the workout. So that's where, again, things... If you're really trying to continue to work out through the injury process, which I think is always, um, there's very few cases where that's not um, appropriate. I think um, you just need to shift the focus of the workout while you're working through an injury versus just trying to maintain what you were doing when you're healthy. Hey, John, it's Kathy again. Here's another one yeah. for you. Mm -hmm. I know you yeah. get this one, and you and I talked about this too. When you initially hurt your back, and we all call it throwing it out or whatever it is, and we're in acute spasm, yep. like that icky pain in the beginning, ice or heat? Heat. Okay. A uh, huge proponent of heat. I don't think um, when you, there, there's, I mean, there's very little research that supports any of them, if any research that supports either of them. Um, but I think, so ice, um, the, the history to ice is actually very interesting, but, um, without going into it, ice will just basically numb the area. Um, whereas heat will kind of help to keep things loose, keep blood flowing through it. Um, I do, if there's an active, so that, that's specifically to the back. If so, especially when people think, feel like they just threw out their back, um, if that's happened to anyone on here before, usually it's like this acute muscle spasm where the back just grabs, right? So in those cases, heat might be most appropriate um, and maybe heat and a little pulsing stim that can help to calm because the main focus there is just calm it down. So whether it's a hot pack or 
um, a hot bath or whatever, if it's like that muscle grab spasm, we wanna calm that down. Um, but at the same time, if you feel like you respond best to ice, use ice. Um, so um, I generally tend to recommend heat, especially in those instances, a little bit more than ice. But I also do say, do what feels best for you at that time, right? Because some people are so stuck on ice that feels the best. Um, but for the most part, ice is probably just numbing the area to make it feel better. Um, but if we can help loosen it up and calm things down with a little bit of heat, and if you have a stim available to you or something, um, I, f I have found that that's the best course of action for those acute kind of muscle grabbing spasm instances. Thanks. So, sorry, Kath. I have a question. Yeah. Um, so I don't have any specific instance where I've actually injured my back. Um, I figure skated for 15 years of my life, which was a lot of heavy, you know, jumping every single day, mm -hmm. eight hours a day. So I think that may have like contributed to my back pain that I have now. And it's not consistent. Like it, it's some days it's really bad. Some days I don't feel it at all. Yep. Um, some mornings I wake up and it's like, I can't even get out of bed and walk to the bathroom. And some days it's, it's fine. Um, but I don't necessarily have like a, a point where like I have actually felt that I injured my back. It's just like a constant pain, but yep. not constant at the same time, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. Um, and some of the postures that they probably wanted you to be in when you're fig figure skating, um, you know, led to certain ways that you're maybe now moving or to some joint degeneration, which doesn't matter. Um, even though I said that, but, um, for me, for you, it would probably be, all right, how do you carry yourself on a daily basis? These, this 15 years of ingrained habits, how do we get you out of them? Um, to maybe think about carrying yourself in a, a different way that is outside of how you were brought up through your formative years, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny that you mentioned posture because that was always one thing that was always hyper-focused for us was mm -hmm. posture. Um, oh, so yeah. I always thought that I had good posture, but maybe it's my definition of good posture is not right. Exactly. And my definition of good posture is not the military standard um, or figure skating. I'm, f I'm very familiar with figure skaters, actually, like that posture. Like to me, that would be an overextended low back that's just going to lead to overstressing it as you yeah. carry yourself through the day. So um, that's how, that's what I would look at you for you. No specific incidents, 15 years of what I would consider poor patterning just because it was sport specific. And, and you'll find that everybody, so as you chase performance and if you figure skated for 15 years, you were a high performer as you chase performance, you're going to lose health, right? So if you guys Google LeBron James's feet right now, you're going to see the ugliest feet you've ever seen in your life. Um, <laughs> but he, he clearly is a high performer. So that's where you start to sacrifice. If you are an elite athlete, you're gonna to start to sacrifice health for the specificity of your sport, right? So, so that's Devin, without really knowing you, that's what I would say might've happened is you just started to sacrifice health so you could become a better figure skater. And now those patterns have kind of stuck around a little bit neurologically and muscularly. And we just need to now take the steps to get you out of them. Because okay. now your focus is health more than performance. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. So Abby has a question. I hear a lot about imbalances and then that leading to back pain injuries. What is the best way to improve this if it's what's if that's true? So I think everybody's always going to have muscle imbalances, right? There's just basic anatomy drives that we are all asymmetrical. We'll always be asymmetrical and we can um, as medical professionals or trainers, we can always try to drive symmetry, but it's never really going to truly happen. Right. Um, so, but I, th I think, um, again, I don't think most people are weak as strength wise. I mean, of course, um, moving load, like, um, squatting and deadlifting and whatever, but based on, you know, current life circumstances, I don't think most people are too weak to go through current life circumstances. I think it's a more of a body position and control thing. So um, the way that we deal with muscle imbalances is saying, hey, you know what, I want you to find this position, feel this position, learn how to control this position, 
And usually that cleans people up pretty well versus trying to strengthen one side of the body more than the other. Um, if there is a clear discrepancy in single leg squat strength, where if a client comes in and they can't do a single leg squat on one side, squat on one side and they can do 10 on the other, then that's definitely a muscle imbalance that you want to clean up as quickly as possible because it could lead to injury. Um, but for the most part, I think a lot of it is just getting people in positions and having them feel positions. Um, but again, if, if someone um, does test out when you're testing single leg strength or single arm strength and there's a big difference, you have to clean that up with basic strength principles. Cool. Anything else, guys? I think that sums it up. If we um, share this post and we have more questions, uh, we can interact via Facebook. But I really appreciate you uh, coming on here and taking the time to go over this with all of us. Of course. Um, if anybody does have questions, I guess I'll see them in the post or they can email me at john, J-O-N, at precisionperformancept.com. Um, and then while, like during this time, we're also doing one-on-one -on -one telehealth sessions. So if anybody um, has an interest in just doing a one-on-one -on -one Skype Zoom call or whatever, um, we can get on that too. And as people have more time, that might be a, a good option to take care of or get on the path to some stuff. Um, and then we love to coordinate with you guys too, as you know, Kathy. So, um, you know, if people are dealing with stuff and they're looking for ways to fill the time, we can get on a call and then talk to, you know, any one of you guys to help them through um, their injury as they stay active and get back into the gym. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. And Thursday shoulders, right? We'll do shoulders on Thursday. Woo thank you. All right. Thank you. See ya. Later. Bye. Did you know we now offer personalized remote programming, one-on-one -on -one video telehealth sessions, and mentorships for both students and professionals. If you're interested in any one of these, please email John at J-O-N at precisionperformancept.com and he can help you get started today.